listening to the Hope Unlimited Church podcast. We are so honored to connect with you, and we pray that you will be encouraged and inspired by this week's message. Luke's Gospel, chapter number 24, and then I'm going to look at a verse in Hebrews. Uh, thank you, brother. Um, Luke's Gospel, chapter 24. Uh, We're going to read just a couple of passages to you. Luke's Gospel, chapter 24. This is a very familiar story. If you have any uh, familiarity with the Bible, if you don't, that's fine. Um, Jesus has died. He has resurrected, but they don't know that he's been raised from the dead. And his disciples are dispersing, and they're going back to start over. Because we put all of our eggs in this one basket named Jesus, and he went and died on us. And now we can't even find his body. So we're going to go back home. Peter and John and James, they go back to their fishing business. We don't know where half the other disciples go because they're so insignificant. Nobody cares. Jesus' leadership team is very sketchy anyway. Right? You really got to pay attention to Jesus' leadership team. In church today, you have to serve Jesus for 400 years before we let you greet at the door. Right? Before we let you lead something. Jesus was picking people halfway saved. Peter was a cusser. Don't amen too loud. (laughs) Judas was stealing the money. About eight of them you never hear from again. They're that unimportant. When's the last time you wondered, what happened to Bartholomew? Where'd that guy end up? Thaddeus, you didn't even know that was one of the disciples, did you? Thaddeus, whatever happened to that guy? So you have two disciples walking, on the, walking back home to Emmaus, and they're talking about what happened. And Jesus shows up, and I've preached this before. Jesus shows up, and the Bible says that they cannot see him because their eyes are held. Their eyes are restrained. They could not see him, not because he was hiding. They couldn't see him because they were hurting. Because it's hard to see God clearly when you're hurting. Can I get an amen from somebody? They're walking back home, and Jesus is walking with them. And look, we're in the middle of this story. We're in the middle of this journey, them going back home from Jerusalem, a seven-and-a-half-mile walk. Would have took me four days to walk seven-and-a-half miles. Verse 25, then he said to them, oh, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things? And then enter into his glory. Watch verse 27. This is the part I want to talk about. Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. Beginning at Moses. If you don't know where that is, that's at the very beginning of the book. The very beginning of the Bible. Beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. Now I want you to look at one more verse. Hebrews chapter 4. Verse, we'll start with verse 12. Indeed, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing until it divides soul from spirit, joints from marrow. Watch this line. This is the line I want to I pull out. It is able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. The word of God is able to judge 
the thoughts. It is able to discern the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And before him, no creature is hidden, but all are naked and laid bare to the eyes of the one to whom we must give an account. Amen. We preached last week. I started a, I informally started a series. I usually get halfway through something. Hmm, that might have made a series out of that. I don't plan ahead very much. I teach at a Bible school. I used to teach at a Bible school, and they they would try to make me have syllabi and create curriculum. And I said, this is what I'm going to call this class. Whatever was on Pastor Casey's heart the night before. That's what this class is going to be called. I'm not sitting here pre-planning six months worth of stuff. I can't function like that. And so last week I preached on Jesus' baptism and what that means for us to be a baptized community. A lot of times growing up in church, if you grew up like me, we didn't know what baptism, we just said something, you know, we just gave some Christian platitude like, well, baptism is an outward sign of an inward work. We're like, all right. I'm pretty sure it means more than that, but that's all. That, 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 we were out of gas at that point. Had nothing else, uh, nothing else left to give. It's an outward sign of an inward work. And we preached last week what baptism really means. That when you become a baptized person, the reason Jesus was baptized was he was immersing himself in human suffering and chaos so that he could redeem it. And when we follow him in baptism, we are declaring that we are immersing ourselves in human suffering as well. Right, That our mark of baptism is not because it separates us from the world. It immerses us into the world in order to redeem the world. Come on, somebody. Talk back to me. If you were not here, you can go online and you can find that. We talked about that. So I thought this week, all this week, about the subject of baptism. And then I thought we got there's a couple of other things that we need to deal with. So I want to call this series something real simple but profound. You ready? Being... Christian, I do not mean going to church. Those are not the same thing. I don't mean you love elevation worship and you listen to two Bible podcasts once and you were raised in church and you got an old ratty NIV Bible up under the coffee table somewhere. That's not the same as being Christian. It is profound. It is absolutely profound just how unchristian Christians have become. It's profound. I was at a, I was at a gym this week. I, I, I say I train jujitsu. I try to train jujitsu. I have marks all over my body from Stephen who actually trains jiu-jitsu. And I was there, and uh, they all know I'm a pastor. They call me the rev sometimes. They call me preacher. They like to choke the preacher. They like that. I have one guy, he comes up to me all the time and says, I love choking you because I get all of my childhood angst about church out. And I was like, bring it on. Come get it. And then he does. But I was there this week, and uh, there was one, one guy there. He came up to me, and he said, hey, man, I saw you on Facebook preaching. I saw a clip of you preaching. I was like, oh, wow. First of all, oh, Jesus, God knows what I said. Number two, I didn't even know you knew what Facebook was. Number three, I said, really, what, what, did I, what did I say? He said, I love what you said because you preached 
how we think that Jesus' commandments to us are love God and then love your neighbor. And if you were here last week, what we talked about was you love God by loving your neighbor, not love God instead of loving your neighbor. Not if I fall in love with God, I will naturally start loving my neighbor. That is not true. I love God by loving my neighbor. My love for God takes shape in how I love my neighbor. That's what it means to be Christian, to be for the good of everybody and for the good of everything. That's what it means to be Christian. He said, I was blown away because I see how church, he said, we're not a religious family. We don't go to church, but I am blown away sometimes at how unchristian Christians are. And he said, when you said that, I don't go to church. My family doesn't go to church, but I knew I could live by that. I could get behind that. I could, I could say some controversial things right now, but I will not. Because we think the world needs us, and they do. But we need them just as much as they need us. Peter gets a revelation from God that the Gentiles are accepted into the faith. God gives him a vision. As a matter of fact, the Bible calls it a trance. That's how far God went to communicate this. There are no other trances in the New Testament except Peter's. And after he comes out of that supernatural experience, he still doesn't believe it. And God has to send him Cornelius, who he feels with the Spirit to say, I'm showing you through people you don't even like what I'm doing in the earth. Sometimes the very things we need are locked up in the people we do not like. Sometimes the things that God wants to do in us are wrapped up in packages that we despise. Amen. So we talked about being baptized in, in human suffering and loving God and loving neighbor and loving God by loving our neighbor. And then I thought, you know, there, there's a couple of foundational, there's a couple of foundational, I don't know, things, stuff that Christians claim that marks them out and separates them. But I'm afraid that when we talk about it, we don't know what we're talking about. For example, baptism. We, we don't know about that. We just know we, when I was a kid, I got put in a creek because mama told me to get baptized, and that was it. We don't know what it means. But baptism is unique to the Christian tradition. It's unique to who we are. It helps make us who we are. There's another part to that. I'm going to go to step two. Stuff number two is scripture. Scripture. Now, it's real popular nowadays to say that the Bible is not the word of God. That's an idea that's being promoted and championed, and, and we, we don't believe that. We affirm that the Bible is God's word to us, right? We affirm the Bible is God's word to us. We affirm that the Bible is God speaking to us. But we don't even really know what the Bible is. And we for sure don't know how it works. And I know that to be true because of how we weaponize it. How we use it against people. The Bible is not your weapon to separate you from others. The Bible is the thing that forms you into his image. Right? 
When we talk about the Bible, we believe the Bible is, here's a good biblical word for you, inspired. Right? Are y'all with me? Hang in here. I promise you we're going somewhere. I promise you. The Bible is inspired, which means it is inspired because God uses it to speak to us. God uses it to shape us. God uses it to form us and change us. God uses it to change and renew our minds. But some of the things that we say about the Bible and some of the things we say about the God that we read about in the Bible are absolutely horrendous. Give an example. Y'all know the story of Jesus in the, t- in, the tab- in the temple kicking over tables and driving out the money changers. Right? It's like our favorite one in the New Testament. They don't know any of the other ones, but they're like, I remember when he made a whip. Started setting it off in there. We love that one. I saw people, you remember the, 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 the insurrection that happened on January the 6th? Y'all remember that? And this is not about who you voted for. Could not care less who you voted for. Could not care less. Let me repeat, could not. It's not what I'm talking about. But you saw that event, right? Where on the news, you have a cross and a gallows side by side. We read Christianity that way, that we think those two things are compatible in some way. And I saw Christian leaders talking about what was happening at the Capitol was the same thing as what Jesus did in the temple when he kicked over the money changers. You don't know what you're talking about. You're weaponizing the Bible at that point to accomplish a political agenda. You're distorting, you're corrupting how we think and talk about God. All right? Now, the Bible is not one book It's a bunch of different books compiled together. I'm going to hurt your feelings right now. You ready? Are you ready? The Bible did not fall out of heaven bound in leather with your name embossed on the front with not one but two ribbon markers in the King James English. That's not how the Bible came to us. I was talking to somebody the other day about the history of the New Testament. We were discussing how the New Testament took shape and and was formed. And they had no idea about any of the history of how the Bible actually came to be. I said, you mean to tell me that you take this book, you you, you claim to base your entire life on it, you swear up and down that this is your guidebook for living. Or if I, when I was a kid, the Bible, the B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth. Y'all don't know about that. I grew up in Sunday school. You claim, you, you hold this up as God's word, and you don't even know how it got here. There's something disingenuous about that. Now everybody's offended because you're like, I don't know how I got here either. <laughs> a five-minute Google search would, would cure a lot of that. But in the Bible, God is telling us stories. That's what makes the Bible so dynamic. It is not a list of rules and things you should and should not do. It is a story. Jesus was the master storyteller. He told what we call parables. 
And every time he would tell a story, the disciples would go away in secret when everybody was gone and they would say, Jesus, (laughs) when everybody was here, we were faking like we knew what you were talking about, but we don't know what in God's name you meant by a sower goes out and sows some seed. And then there are two men that had two sons and one went and lived righteously. What do you mean? He was a storyteller. And the purpose of scripture in your life is God tells a story and then he asks us, where are you and who are you in this story? Because we tend to read ourselves into the best parts of the story. When you read the story of Joseph getting thrown in the pit, you weep because you feel like Joseph so many times in your life. And I know what it's like to have my haters come at me on Facebook and they don't know my trial. They're coming at you because you posted something stupid and they, they just can't handle the truth that I be dropping on this social media platform. I am Joseph in the pit and you never realize all the times you were Joseph's brother to somebody else. I'll help you out on when to Amen. We read ourselves into the best parts of the text. We are Peter walking on water until he sinks. We are the Peter standing up on the day of Pentecost preaching to thousands. We're not the Peter cussing and cutting people's heads off with a sword on Facebook. That's the sharpest weapon you got, ain't it? You know what I'm talking about when somebody responds back and you feel that Tabasco sauce going up and down your body like, oh, now it's on. House is on fire. Kids hadn't ate. It doesn't matter. Laundry needs done. Dog needs taken out. People are calling. The bill collectors are calling you like, you don't understand. I got a Karen on Facebook that I'm about to have to regulate on right now. And I apologize if your name is Karen. My mother-in-law's name is Karen. or Felicia, or Rhonda, or whatever you want to call your haters. We read ourselves in those stories, in the best parts of those stories. We're always the betrayed, never the betrayer. We're always Jesus, never Judas. Right? And we think we're being faithful to the Bible when we read it that way. It's perverse. I've said this to you a thousand times. We don't believe what the Bible says. We believe what we believe the Bible says. The Bible is never in question. It is God's word to us. What is in question is our reading of it. Right? Give another example. Let me, let me, just show, let me show you how we think, how, 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 perver- how this has corrupted us. I'm from Alabama. There were some... some uh, Alabama's terrible about tornadoes. We get tornadoes all the time. It's unbelievable. And a couple of weeks ago, I guess it was last week, week before, there was a, a, a rash of tornadoes that came through and just wrecked chaos all through Alabama, which is completely normal for this time of year, unfortunately. And somebody sent me a picture of somebody in Alabama that said this. They were celebrating because the tornado missed their town. And then they said this, 
We prayed and we sent it away. Yeah, but it killed other people in the next. All we know is God protected us to the point that we are claiming God protected us at your expense. God did good by us, but not by you, because that's how we read the story. You should see some of the things that people say on Facebook, how self-serving it is. If they can't run with you, then just get rid of them because what God's got on your life. What about what God's got on their life? Didn't think about that, did you? Because they made you mad. Karen's got a call too. Jesus loves Felicia too. (laughs) I don't even know if these words are relevant anymore, but I'm always about four years behind what's cool. You just say amen. <laughs> so the Bible's telling this story. Now, the stories in the Bible are very complex because you have stories about Jesus saying things like, love your enemies. And if he smites you on one cheek, give him the other. Bless those that persecute you. And if your enemy wants your shirt, give him your jacket too. And if he wants you to walk with him one mile, go with him too. And don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's a very different picture than what we get in the Old Testament. Where we hear Moses and them saying, God told us to go kill everybody already. God said this belongs to us already. The Bible has been weaponized for centuries. It's been weaponized to keep people in slavery. It's been weaponized to keep women subjugated. It has been weaponized to justify genocide. How do we reconcile these things? For most of us, we, the way we reconcile them is we just hope nobody ever asks us about them. As long as you don't bring it up, we'll pretend it's not there. Death, destruction, chaos, murder, bloodshed through the Old Testament, then a vision of Jesus that is the complete opposite. I read an article by a guy the other day. He went to Israel. And he is standing on the mount where the Beatitudes were preached, the the mountain where, where the Sermon on the Mount was preached, where Jesus makes those faithful sayings about loving your neighbor and being good to others. And not retaliating and not lashing out. And being a servant and loving and serving all and doing good by all. Where Jesus makes those statements. He is standing on the mountain and he looks out over Jerusalem and he sees all of these Christian sites. And then this is what he says in his article. The irony is completely lost on him. He says, and this is why we need to bomb Muslim countries. To keep them from blowing up our Christian sites. You are standing in the very place. Where Jesus said, this is not who we are. And you're reading the situation this way. Do you see how corrupted we've become and how we read these things? So how do you make sense of this Old Testament violence and the New Testament love and mercy and and goodness and, 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 and kindness and doing good to all? But how do we make sense of all that? You ever ask yourself that question? Because there's some crazy stories in the Old Testament. 
I mean, you're not really telling your kids the Noah story before they go to bed, right? Daddy, what happened? Well, God killed everybody except a handful of people. And by the time they got off the ark, it took about five minutes and they were in a mess too. Daddy, what happened to the Canaanites? Well, God told us to kill them. How do you make sense of that? How do you make sense of that? When that's so contrary to Jesus. How do you make sense of that? When we read the Bible, listen to me, listen to me clearly. When we read the Bible, when we read the scriptures, we have to read it searching for Jesus. Listen, the greatest way that we know who God is, calm down, let me finish my statement before you start Facebooking. The greatest way we know who God is is not the Bible. The greatest way we know who God is is Jesus. And the Bible bears witness to who Jesus is. Okay? Jesus said, I am the visible image of the invisible God. Jesus said, you see the, Paul said, you see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Hebrews said that God spoke to us in time past by the prophets, but now he's speaking to us through the Son, who is the express image of God's person. Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. The greatest way we know who God is, is Jesus, and scriptures bear witness to who Jesus is. So how do we make sense of these two different visions of God? Because so many times in Christianity, the way we preach it is, you have a very angry, wrathful, vengeful, bloodthirsty God. We even preach the cross that way. We say that the purpose of the cross was God was so angry at sin that he could not help himself. He had to kill somebody. And before he killed us, Jesus, like the older brother stepping in with an alcoholic father, he stepped in and took the beating for us. And God finally got that off his chest. And now he's not mad at us anymore. That's that, we call that the gospel. That we serve a God who murders his own son so he doesn't have to murder you. Y'all all right? Come on, come on. That's not the gospel. Not at all. The gospel is so much greater and more beautiful than that. That's a perversion. That's not the gospel at all. And so Jesus is the one that intercepts our beating because God was so emotionally out of control. Because God is so holy, he has to kill something. And we never, we never, never dawns on us. Maybe being holy means you don't kill something. I I was talking to somebody about this the other day. They said, well, God kills people because God's holy. I said, well, God calls me to be holy. So are you telling me I can reach a place where I can start killing people? Because I got a list. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. When we read the scriptures... Jesus said this. This is what Jesus is saying on the road to Emmaus. He says, I'm going to start at Moses and the prophets, and I'm going to show you me. Now, 
when we read the stories in the Bible, watch, 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 watch. When we read the stories in the Bible, they teach us two things. They teach us who God is and they teach us who God is not. You remember the parable in Luke 18? Me and Goli uh, talk about this all the time. The parable in Luke 18 about the unjust judge. Read it. You'll get to that point in your one-year Bible pretty quickly. The story of the unjust judge where the woman comes and she beats on the judge's house and beats and beats and beats because she needs him to avenge her of her adversary and he won't answer the door and she keeps beating and keeps beating and keeps beating and finally he says, dear God woman, you're getting on my nerves. And it says that she wearied him with her prayers. Y'all know that story? And we have preached that as though that is God with us. We have a need, but if we don't beat on the door enough, if we don't weary God with our prayers, I would love to meet the person who believes they can weary God with their prayers. The purpose of the story is not that God is like the unjust judge. God is not unjust. The purpose of the story is God is not like that. And you don't have to approach God like that. That's the purpose of the story. You read about God saying, I'm going to judge Sodom and Gomorrah. And then Abraham steps in and says, if there will be 50 righteous, will you spare it? Yes. If there'll be 40 righteous, will you spare it? Yes. If there'll be 20, if there'll be 10, will you spare it? Yes. And then we read a contradictory story when we read about Jonah. Because God says, I'm going to judge Nineveh. And Jonah says, have at it. Do what you got to do. Right? Peace. Jonah, I need you to go. Ain't happening. Jonah finally goes and preaches to Nineveh one sermon. And the whole city gets saved. And Jonah gets mad. Why did you kill these people? Now, who is God like? Is he like Abraham? Or is he like Jonah? The Bible tells us who God is, and it tells us who God is not. And when we read stories about Moses saying, we've got to go kill all the Canaanites, and Joshua saying, we've got to go kill all the Canaanites, and Samuel and Saul saying, we've got to go kill all the Amalekites, we are not reading who God is. We're reading Israel's wrong response to who God is. reading Israel's wrong response to who God is. That's why all through Jesus' ministry, he is constantly redefining everything that Moses said. Moses said that if we don't, if we want to divorce our wives, we can. Jesus said, I never said that. I never said that. Moses gave you that law because of the hardness of your heart, but I never said that. I'm going to preach a sermon at some point on the man with the withered hand in the, t- in the temple. Y'all know this story? The man with the withered hand, broken and dysfunctional and hurting. But he, he comes on the Sabbath day, and Jesus is going to heal him. And they say, we want to see if you're going to heal him on the Sabbath day because God gave us a commandment that you should remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy, and do no work. We're going to see if you heal on the Sabbath day. And the Bible says that Jesus was angry at the hardness of their heart. Because you put your law in front of somebody that bears the image of God. 
you put your structure and your religious system in front of somebody that needs a touch from God. The story right before that, the Bible says that Jesus and the disciples are hungry and they're going through the grain fields eating the corn on the Sabbath day. And the Pharisees pass out. You can't do this on the Sabbath day. This is what they're communicating. We would rather you stay hungry and in need than mess with our religious system. And Jesus always comes through and he says, that's not who God is. That's not who God is. We know God by reading Jesus. And scriptures bear witness of who Jesus is. Y'all with me? Now, here's the, I said all that to get here. And I've got two minutes and 49 seconds to say it. Jansen, come on up. The writer of Hebrews said that the word of God judges, discerns, highlights, exposes If you haven't listened to anything else I've said, or if you've not understood anything else I've said, listen to this. This is my whole point. That the word of God discerns the intentions of our heart. It judges, it exposes, it reveals. Listen. One of the early fathers said this. He said the reason God put those stories of violence in the Old Testament was not because it was speaking of him, but it was revealing to us who we desperately want him to be. When we read a story about a God that would kill all our enemies, that's really who we want him to be. We don't want him to do that to us, but we do want him to do that to everybody we don't like. We do want him to do that to the other people on the other side of whatever political aisle you find yourself on. We don't want him to do that to us. We don't want him to judge our sin that way. But we do want him to judge the gay community that way. We do want him to judge the transgender community that way. God, have mercy on me. But be bloodthirsty and angry with them. When we read those stories, those stories are part of what was used to wipe the Native Americans off of of the land because God told Israel to go slay the Canaanites and we are the new Israel. When we read those stories and we say, yes, that's not good. But at that moment, the word of God is judging the thoughts of our heart. When you read those stories, Joshua going and killing everybody, he tell, Saul said, God told me to go kill all the children. Go kill all the children. Now I've talked to people, I've been in ministry a long time, and I've talked to people that's read that story, and they've said, well, if that's what God said, you got to obey. What? What are you talking about? No, that's not what God said. That's Saul's response to something that God said, but that's not what God said. That's not what God's ever said. But we desperately want God to be like that. 
this way of reading has corrupted our Christian conscience to the point that we can't even see the suffering of others. Because you're an Amalekite and I'm an Israelite. You ever had something bad happen to somebody you didn't like? Somebody you don't like, they post something they're going through on Facebook? People post everything on Facebook. Stuff that should never be, some stuff that's not fit for public consumption. You know what happens when we read that? Something wells up in us, we say. Because you didn't respect me. You, did, you tr- mistreated me, so now God is mistreating you. That is completely wrong. God hates what harms us and God also hates when we harm others. The word of God is discerning our thoughts and our heart. So when you can use the Bible in these ways to do harm to people in the name of God, you don't understand the Bible or God. We read it for Jesus. And every story is either telling us something about who he is or something about who he is not. Your Bible always talks about God in language that God is not. Number says God is not a man that he should lie, nor is he the son of man that he should repent. His holiness is hospitable to us, but hostile to what harms us. That's who he is. So when we, when we as, the, as Christians wrestle with the scriptures, we have to read them in this way. I'm searching for him. And then everything is testifying about who he is. He, re- he says all the time in the New Testament, Stand on your feet. Go ahead and stand on your feet. <laughs> he says all the time in the New Testament, stand on your feet. Y'all catch that? Look at me. He says all the time in the New Testament, Moses said this, but I never said that. Moses said this, but I never said that. So when we read these stories, we have to find out where are we in the story? Who are we in the story? But we also have to find out where is God in the story and who is God in the story? And a God that would do harm and inflict pain is not the God we see in Jesus. I had a conversation with somebody about this the other day and I was saying, how do you reconcile these two things? Because they were arguing. I was talking about this. They were arguing with me. I said, oh, that's right, that's that's wrong, that's not right. I said, how do you reconcile those two things? They said, well, God just simply changed his ways when he got in the New Testament. Just making a claim, just changed his ways. He used to kill people, now he doesn't. Thanks be to God. I'm sure the Old Testament people appreciate that very much. Changed his ways. Except for the fact 
Then he said, I change not. changed his ways yeah he used to be like that but now he's like this God is what he does God is not one thing and then he does another if he does unjust acts he is an unjust God if he does unloving acts he is an unloving God they said well because God is God whatever he does is good and to our feeble mind it might not look like slaughtering innocent children is a good thing but in the mind of God I mean y'all have heard this stuff it makes no sense but in the mind of God in some twisty kind of way it's good. So we are, they argued that God, whatever God wills, is good. And I say that's completely wrong. Instead, God only wills good things. That's who he is because that's who we see him as in Jesus. And the only people Jesus stood against were the people that were doing harm to others. That's who we see in Jesus. He is the visible image of the invisible God. Father, we thank you today. We pray that you reveal, discern, show us thoughts and the intentions of our hearts in every place where we are unlike you teach us in every place where we view our neighbor in a way that you don't view them teach us we repent we repent for creating a God that is the executor of all of our worst impulses we repent of that. We repent for creating a God in our own imagination instead of beholding you in the face of Jesus Christ. Can y'all pray that with me? Lord, show me every way that I have thought about you wrongly. Show me every way where I have seen you wrongly. Show me every way where I've read your word to me, where I've read it wrongly, where I've used it against people instead of for people, when I've used it to do harm instead of using it to do good. God, show me that because your will is for the good of all of us. Your will is for the good of all things only. Show me where I've missed you. Show me where I've distorted the vision of who you are. Teach me a better way. Teach me a better way. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. I want you to think about this. Hang on. Let me give you one more thought. I want you to think about this. Paul, before he became Saul, or before he became Paul, he was Saul. 
he was saturated in the Old Testament stories. He was a trained Pharisee. There were different denominations of Pharisees. Saul was in the most extreme denomination, the most radical fundamentalist denomination. And he said, I'm the Pharisee above all Pharisees. I was at the top of that denomination. He was saturated in the Old Testament stories. And what did it lead Paul to do? It led Paul to kill people. Until he saw Christ on the road to Damascus and it forever redefined how he saw God. And we have these stories in us, but we have not seen Jesus yet. And Saul turning to Paul never kills another person but spends his life serving and actually dies by the hand of the sword because he had these stories. But when he saw Jesus, he read everything now through Christ. That's how we read this. Are you with me? That's what it means to be Christian. Is this good? Is this good? Is this fun? Is this too Bible college-ish? This is a lot of fun. Listen, we love you so much. Be sure to come to Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to give, please visit hopeunlimited.church slash give. To stay connected, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Hope Unlimited Church.